During meditation, how do we reach first jhana for one-pointedness of breath? Can you guide me on this? During meditation experience, I calm myself and relax. After that, I feel my body enter phase two, like entering to another medium, body suddenly very light. Is this called meditation, or I'm still yet to try it out? Duration of meditation, 20 minutes. I reassure my ribs. Let's try 20 minutes and we have a rest. During meditation, my body feels warm, especially the face and head area. Was it normal? If not, how to overcome it? Can you please elaborate on channeling the breath, channeling the breath in the abdomen to flowering out from solar plexus? Another one, when talking on, when I was talking on contemplation of death, while listening to that in meditation, my mind is bright. There was a vision of body parts, joints being ripped off, and the flesh and cartilage could be seen. Thereafter, the contents of bones can be seen clearly. As I was listening to the questions and answers, I let go of the vision. This is the correct way of practice. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting stuff, isn't it? <laughs> How much can happen when just sitting there? (laughs) All these different domains open up, all these interior domains open up, and we experience light and energies moving around, and some energy moves up, and we feel warm in our head and face. Sometimes it seems the body seems to expand or go light, or bits of it fall off. Please take it all home with you. We don't want it. Let leave any of your parts here. <laughs> so these uh, and channeling the breath now, just to kind of and so these are the kind of experiences that happen as the jitta sort of readjusts itself in the body, in terms of its its experience of body. Remember, most of our experience of body is based upon a visual impression or the external tactile impressions touching and so forth so we come to something internal first of all you know you hardly really know what it is because it's, it's just normally it's not even not even a topic and then your energy is often sort of imbalanced like it's generally because the energy is often driven or compressed in some way or another because we're running around or or there's constrictions so when it starts to soften and loosen and flow around it can take all kinds of um, forms uh, qualities to it and the mind experiences these in terms of paranormal experiences light uh, radiance sometimes feel floating and because the, the basis of emotion is actually in, in the body your emotion begins in the body. So you, know, you may think your emotion begins in your thoughts, but um, you, your emotion begins, the energy of it is, is a kind of rising or moving in terms of this embodied quality. You know, so if your passion rises. Um, so, and then the mind kind of interprets that just senses it and experiences it in its own terms as 
uh, it's bright or radiant or flaring or energy moves around we feel a lot of it up in our head it warms up or in our chest warms up sometimes areas seem to open up bits seem to fall off everything is normal (laughs) Uh, it's just that it's unusual so the simpler advice is you know that on this process you need to fine-tune the quality of firmness so it's in ekagata one point in this is a kind of fir- firming up so piti is, is often occurs when there's a sense of rapture rapture is a sankara and that may not mean much sankara is activities activations we feel slightly light it's the dynamic kind of thrilling buoyant quality and sukha is just a feeling a pleasant feeling and not, as we experience, as the chitta experiences qualities of feeling, it gets sort of euphoric or sinks and, you know, it, gets, it sort of floats around a bit. And it starts producing lights and subtle senses. Now this is all as it is. And uh, it naturally energy is very, attracts us. Energy and vitality attracts when I say us, it attracts the chitta. Chitta moves towards that which has got energy in it. So we, we tend to get absorbed into it. And for this can be unsettling because the energy needs to be stabilized so more dispassion is needed, more drawing back and more grounding is needed. So the intention when one feels a certain quality of lightness or happiness or pleasure or buoyancy is firming, just almost that word, firming, steadying. There's a, if you look into the Anapanasati Sutta, then the Buddha says, well, the second tetrad is experiencing piti, sukha, and experiencing the citta sankara, which is this kind of the activating emotive experience. This makes sense? What I mean by sankara? Because it's, it's one of those words it's difficult to translate. Uh, and then steadying, calming it. So in a way we're just backing off. Sometimes with energy we get too interested in it and it, it, we get kind of pulled into it. And giving it too much attention activates it more. If you, what you pay attention to act, uh, gives more energy to that. What you attend to, what you put your attention on, that will get more energy because the quality of attention is a sankara and it has energy. So what you attend to becomes more firmly, strongly felt. And this happens, yes, it's a normal thing. Like, you know, if you're in your house and you, you see something that, you know, some mark on the wall or something you don't like, and your attention goes to that, it seems very intensely felt. It's more intensely felt. We get gripped by what our attention holds. So in meditation, this becomes extremely um, apparent. As you know, when you get disturbing thoughts in meditation, they can seem extremely disturbing. Or memories can seem really powerful. And senses of happiness or gratitude can seem extremely powerful. You know, it's all welling up. Uh, so some people start weeping because the body, that's what it does. So this is the kind of rapture stage and it has to be steadied 
say calming, soothing. And the third phase or tetrad of anapanasati is sensitive to the chitta, gladdening the chitta, steadying the chitta, and freeing the chitta. And you gain chitta, what is it, who is this happening to, where does this happen? You could say, who is experiencing the piti, who is experiencing this lovely feeling. So it's just, we're not pushing that away, we're just coming back a little bit. To so using words in a situation where words don't really work, so it's a, a little bit strange, but it's like saying, you know, who does this happen to? Or where is this? Uh, and this is why we still have the vitaka vichara, because these are the capacities of the mind to point and handle. So um, these can also, what, what can happen is if we go into the, the happy, pleasant states, which of course we, we like and are good, and we kind of lose some of that, that vitaka vichara agility. We get a little bit wowed by it all. You know, like, see, oh, this is great, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, this is really strange, what's going on here? And we lose that coolness of, wait a minute, you know, the ability to, to, which is where your steering is, you see. So this is what's needed. So a lot of the forest agiles particularly really spend quite a lot of time recommending people almost to not go into samadhi too quickly because they can plunge in where they haven't got the steering it's like driving with no no brakes or gears you know it's kind of interesting ride <laughs> but it just fizzes round and it gets into a bit of a habit habit you know it's not <laughs> there are worse habits but it means we just kind of bliss out but then you know you get some nice things uh, and then it, you know, come out of it, and so what? It was kind of pleasant. So this ability to to, to steer and, and navigate, and many of them say, well, least, you know, you go back to simple things, like just walking up and down, feeling the, the physicality of the body, the material element, because on a subtle level, perhaps we don't have the, the steering capacity yet. We go a little bit, uh, uh, we lose it. So you do really develop your, your, your steering. Now, you see quite a lot of that is all in all these and uh, in for a bhikkhu training there's a lot of stuff that they really emphasize being quite clear and precise things being offered the way you wear your robes the way you, you know all this quite meticulous attention to things you think oh what's all this about you know <laughs> why don't we just you know meditate what do you got all this stuff but it's really about developing a, a, a precise attention attention to detail and with it's gentle it's clear it's precise and it operates at a fairly subtle level you know we have obvious precepts you have subtler training or on where you speak uh, where you hold your body your deportment and so you're learning to have a more refined kind of attention a refined attention to detail that's more subtle and it often begins on a fairly you might say the grosser form, like you know, movement, body movement, and uh, things of this nature, so that becomes established as the way the mind operates. So that when we get into these less tangible 
areas, our steering is a, is more uh, adroit, more capable. So you know, for in terms of your own practice, perhaps you need to come back and to just sample well, you know, the physicality of the body and sweep through the word detecting sensation. Sensation is a bit more stable than energy. Energy really move, can move around, uh, subtle energy. Uh, and it's extremely entrancing. We need to master it. I don't mean in a domineering way. We need to, you know, master it in, in a way of being skillful with it. So it doesn't just fizz around. Then, so saying like, where is this happening or who is this happening to? Again, it's just the pointing, this is Vitaka. And calming, steadying the sankara quality, this activation quality. Again, it's withdrawal. There's a sense of just slightly less emotional interest in the phenomena, in the subtle phenomena. A more interest in holding it. How do I handle this? Does it need to go down? Does it need to go up? Can I spread it through the body? Can I run it down my legs? Can I um, step back from it? So you, you... kind of start to, to handle it more clearly. And there is a sense with that of, of beginning to feel the quality of the jitta as a wisdom capacity. Now wisdom is not an intellectual experience, although it can inspire and direct our intellect. It's the ability to, to assess and discern. You know, like if you taste your soup, you don't have to you don't do a whole intellectual exercise on how much monosodium glutamate's in it. You taste it, mm, mm, tamarind, mm, paprika, mm, a bit of onion, mm, too hot, too spicy. You know, it's something you you get to sense it. And the more skillful you get, you don't even hardly need the words anymore. You just immediately know this isn't quite right. Um, And you you respond to that. Uh, But still there is some sense of vitaka pointing and assessing. With that. So these can be not terrifically, not big verbal experiences. They're not long verbal experiences, they're more aha experiences. And then we, what is needed? Firming up, firming up, firming up, earth element, grounding, and refreshing, gladdening awareness, bringing that to the fore, and steadying. These you know, it didn't say very much about it, but just these are almost like cryptic notes that once you get into the area, you just even remember. Gladdening is a sense of brightening when things get uh, dark or fuzzy or fading. Gladdening, lifting, and then steadying, stabilizing. So we're then freeing the chitta from this um, outgoing quality. It starts the uh, energy running out, mm-hmm. so it becomes more stable. Now, this is uh, all. This is to do with ekagata, gathering together at one point. Doesn't mean a particular tiny point. It, it can. It means just that the theme, the area that you're contemplating, is steady. It's like one thing. It's not varying from this to that. It's not. Now up here, now down there, it's steady. All gathered together at one point, in one theme. And your attention is, what is the unity? What is the singularity here? 
instead of sort of you see all this brightness or warmth. And then can we contemplate? Sometimes you get these people get the experience of nimittas, warmth, light, sense of space. Maybe the mind is expressing that, expressing it, and then we stabilize around that particular impression. That becomes your focal point. So channeling the breath from the abdomen to flowering out from the solar plexus, this is sort of a bit more preliminary. As we, so it's just a way of checking as you are breathing in, breathing out long, for establishing the, the, the breathing. So the breathing becomes free and in your establishment of that theme. So normally you breathe from your belly because that's what actually does it. And the energy comes from down here. That's, the, that's the, the pump, if you like. And this area, the diaphragm area, uh, is a big sheet of muscle between the abdomen and the chest. So it's, not, it's, it's, it's a whole sheet and it runs like a diagonal, if you've ever seen it in anatomy, it's, a, it's an in, quite, a, quite a big piece of tissue. And it's a sheet that runs through the body diagonally down and it t- ties itself to the, to the back of the, to the spine, back of the spine, it's diagonal. Um, that's a muscle. Now, as we all know, muscles tighten up, contract and loosen, contract and loosen. And this one contracts and loosens, and it's associated with power. So it tightens up when it heart when it when you firm up, when the abdomen firms up, it generally firms up because of fear, there's a gripping. Um, so it's to do with powering, you know, power, defense, hardening up. And I'm, often it's the case that the, the solar plexus is really the center of the of the of the diaphragm in the middle of the chest. And there's a sort of nerves there. So this is, if you like, the, the nerve center of it. So this is where the signal is. Yeah, so that signal, if you're getting a signal, can be of, of tensing up. And then that affects the diaphragm. The diaphragm doesn't flex so much. That affects the breathing. It affects the muscles in the sides of the body, so which are wrapped around the body like a bandage. So everything constricts. Now that happens when we feel it under pressure or when we feel uncertain or unsteady or nervy there's a tensing up. You're probably aware of that when you feel nervous or self-conscious you tense up. It has a physical action on this area here. So when you're living fairly high speed lives it's quite likely that this area tenses up quite a bit and doesn't completely relax. So the suggestion then is to consciously come to this area and consciously visualize it relaxing, like something opening, flowering. Uh, so the, uh, the, the movement of the breath as it comes, as the belly swells and comes up, is just that sense of opening here. And it may be not much is necessary, but it may be helpful. You suddenly sense Oh, it's a bit rigid. I, and it's controlling, you see, to do with controlling oneself, controlling one's feelings, controlling oneself. Then all this happens through this place. So we don't have to do that. And that allows the, these, uh, all the muscles around the body to relax a little. And that means the nerves themselves are less charged up, less fired up. We feel calmer.
Channeling breath is really a matter of sensing the quality of breathing, the quality, the pleasant, easeful quality of it, to, you know, establishing your, your attention in that. And so your attention picks up that theme, that quality, and as, then as you stay in that, with that quality, then you, you sweep your attention to places that feel difficult. And it's like giving them some of that good energy. So wherever one feels there's too much energy, you want to, like your face feels unusually warm or bright, or your hands or whatever, uh, then you want to draw your awareness from those places to other places. You know, it's like if it becomes imbalanced. So if you've got warm hands, you focus on that, and then draw your attention from your hands up your arms, over your whole body, or breathe out through the body so that the body becomes a unity. It's not one part is stronger than another. You want to have the breath energy equalizing it. Then it can settle because it becomes stable. So another one. So here we are. When I contemplate gratitude or compassion, I feel strong emotional energy expanding from my chest to the whole body. And I feel peaceful and happy. Now I find myself attached, I find myself attached to this feeling and tend to deliberately bring up objects could lead to this feeling when meditating, is this the right approach? Another one, tears flow during metta, compassion, gratitude, moments of joy and sharing, also in moments of grief. The feeling comes from the heart and the warm energy goes right up to the head. Why? So, there we are, two different people. So, this is human experience, um, I didn't invent the human body, so I don't know why, but that's what it does. <laughs> why, why, why water should come out of the eyes when we feel sad? I have it doesn't. I don't know why, but it does. <laughs> it's just what happens. But we can sense, you know, like if your comment rises from the heart, the heart. If you look at it literally, it's just this big muscle lump of muscular meat pumping blood <laughs> what's that going to do with emotions and yet most everyone will say you know the emotion is in the heart if my heart aches my heart is full of joy isn't it interesting we all indicate that and all do it, express it unquestionably you know you look, open up a heart there's not an emotion is there <laughs> on the physical level but somehow um, we seem to experience with certainty that this energy seems to collect around this particular zone, center of the chest. There it is. Um, that's the way it is. Um, um, so clearly this is not really to do with that lump of meat, or maybe, but to do with some kind of subtler quality. And again, just recommending that you know there's a lot more in associated with the body than just meat, skin, bones, blood. There's an entire subtle sense, energetic sense, emotional sense that's there. And we can locate it. Nobody says, I've got this strong feeling of grief in my foot. So it does seem, we do seem to sense it's having a location. So it probably does, you know. And so we can, lo, location in terms of this particular region, well, 
and all you know is it's coming up to your face. Now, by and large, rising energy tends to be, can go into overwhelm, overwhelming. It can go, it's not wrong, it just can get a little bit, you lose ground, you lose the, the groundedness, so it flows up and overwhelm, and it's quite enjoyable in some ways, but because the feeling is quite sweet, but the emotional energy of it rising up to your head, it can be destabilizing. You know, on an energetic level, the theme very much is spreading through the entire body, not just letting the energy rise up. So you, when you feel that sense of before it rises up, you try to s- spread it what widthways around your body, down your body, and if you are, if you have skill, you can set, even before it becomes strong, you can develop an attention that picks up at energy channels in the body or energy flows in the body. As I've been suggesting, breathing down your legs, into your feet, because your, your feet definitely do not get blown away with emotion. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got something to just, once you open those channels up, then you've got some place where the energy can flow. And it doesn't mean that we don't feel grateful or happy or compassionate. It means that is that is held and steadied. I mean, do you, do you understand what I mean by energy in the, in the body, like down your legs? Can you get a sense of that? And uh, you know, you, that's what, for example, qigong is about. Tai Chi is about, and uh, it's not sensation but it's vitality, we feel vitality, and you can recognize some areas of the body got a lot of vitality, the heart definitely has, the center of the forehead definitely has a lot of, lot of juice there. So, but you don't want to go, you don't want to add to that. And we can get a little bit intoxicated with it, you know, because the jitta like, likes energy, and it's come from a, a blameless experience, so, but then, you know, if you if you kind of like you focus too much on these areas, they get overcharged, and then it tends to swell up. And so, we want to really widen, soften, spread down through areas of the body that are perhaps less volatile. When seized with the sense of justness, justness, how does the jitter experience it? I mean, it seems to me that it's about a sense of immediacy, things being just as they are. And I don't really know, I haven't got a response for that. Change the topics. What do you mean by thinking is a doubt? Thinking, can you explain explain what you refer to? I may have the misconception the base of everything we do is based on what, what our mind thinks. Mind, think. What I mean by thinking is doubt, and perhaps that's not in if I said that, maybe that was not so accurate. Thinking can take you to doubt. Um, thinking is fine when you're doing abstract logic, like, you know, the circumference of the earth is whatever it is. You know, that works fine. Two and two equals four. My name is Suchito. You know, that, that's fine. That works fine. Because it's just dealing with its own, its own as its territory. So it works fine like that. But when you get to 
thinking, what should I do with my life, for example? Well, maybe this, maybe that. An idea, another idea. So, subjective questions about meaning, identity, who am I? I don't know. Meaning, how do do things feel? And areas with the chitta, thinking that's not his territory. So, you, you know, if you're like trying to handle chitta territory, like the territory of samadhi, with thinking, it doesn't work in that way. Thinking only works in samadhi in terms of, all you need to do is just say, what, where, how. And you use the thinking like, like, a, like a pointer to get precision. But the response is not a thought. It takes you to a felt experience. It just helps you to pinpoint a felt experience. Like, is that firm? Is it, you know, is it soft? And so it takes you to the, to a, a, not an abstract experience. Abstract, right? Numbers, names, but a subjective felt experience. Feels happy. Feels bright. Feels soft. Now I'm using words because what else can I talk in? But you know that soft is not not a word. It's a, it's a felt experience. Where 35,000 kilometers is a word. There's no feeling in 35,000 kilometers. It's not happy 35,000. It's not good or joyful or bright or confused. It's just that. It has one dimension. It's just that. And that's that's... Great for organizing stuff, but it's useless for depth experience. You can't handle emotion with a thought. You handle emotion with a thought purely by saying, how do you feel, what's needed? And those are both questions that take you to mm, handle it, feel it, get a sense of it. So when we try to take thought to give us answers outside of its territory, it just spins around and goes, well, it's probably this, maybe that. And it doesn't arrive at anything conclusive because it, that's not in its territory. It can't arrive at anything conclusive in that. It takes you to judgments or ideas, but it doesn't, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's outside its domain. So you don't really find yourself getting any clearer. And of course, because most meditation instruction occurs in terms of words and thoughts, <laughs> you know, unless you take the words and send your attention to what they're pointing to, <laughs> the more you hear and listen, the more confused you get. Some said practice of meditation is most important. Reading the Dhamma books and suttas are not necessary. I guess it's a matter of opinion, really, but. Uh, you know, you have this. Uh, to my, to my way, I sense it is. You know, there was somebody called the Buddha, and he did teach, and I don't think he taught just to pass his time. <laughs> I think he taught in order to create, and he said the thing. He seemed to say that many things over and over again, like he wanted it to be learnt, and he often went into details and analogies and parables to say, look, this is. I'm trying to get it across to you as much as possible so this Dhamma will persist for a long time. And he put 45 years of his life till his dying breath in doing that. 
And so if they, then it, it's all been written down. And, you know, the writing is not 100% accurate. It's, it's edited, it's revised, but it's probably as close as we're ever going to get to what the Buddha said. I don't think one should say, well, don't really need it. <laughs> you know, it seems a little bit kind of flippant. <laughs> this is what a man spent his life doing. You see, and it may be that, that people who say that actually have had a lot of verbal teaching from a transmission of lineage of, of masters who have given it to them verbally and embodied it. So yeah, you don't need the books because you've heard it from, the, from those, those people. But how many are there? Is anybody of us anywhere near as good as the Buddha? I don't think so. Uh, he was the best Buddhist there has ever been. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't always get to a, a teacher. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just sitting out in the jungle. So these things are, have value, in my opinion. But, like everything else, you know, the problem is the words are both a benefit and you have to translate the words into direct experience. Now, if we just gobble up more and more words and play with words and ideas and thoughts, we get extremely busy in the head and often we get confused. So recognize, you know, the Buddha had experiences and he translated those experiences into words in order to transmit them. Now, those words, we have to retranslate them back into experience, not just stick on the words. And, you know, there's something about words that's, that give us the illusion of clarity just because we got the ideas straight. So sometimes people just never let go of the words and don't do the translating. They just speculate about the exact meaning of this Pali word or that Pali word or what this commentary says or that commentary says or could it be interpreted this way and that way the Burmese rendition is this way you know, do all this incredible stuff but you haven't actually translated it into experience you know, it's like you write the word Nibbana and then you quibble over what font it's going to be in <laughs> without realising it means <laughs> let go <you> know? <laughs> so this is the drawback so you often take a bit a little bit and you chew it and taste it, get it in, and recognize these are sometimes, these are, if these are coming from an enlightened being, there's a lot in them. And one shouldn't just think we know it because we can read a word or a precept or, or a practice, you know. So we have to retranslate them back into experience. What is, what is a breath, for example, a simple thing like that. And I've spent quite a bit of time just even trying to give us a, a fuller experience of, a, of breathing in and breathing out. from, And it takes time to get it. And that's just one theme. Uh, so to take some, reflect upon it, try to put it into practice, evaluate it. And uh, that, that's, that's, so it's a, it's a, I think so it's about 20% reading, study, 80% practice. It was actually in Charles' estimate. But don't sit there with a stopwatch, you know, trying to get exactly... <laughs> it gives you an idea. Okay, that's... Um, time is up for questions today.